This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Welcome, listeners, to another episode of the Extra Inch Podcast. My name is Windy, and I'm joined by my psychic and best friend, Bardi. Hello, Bardi. Hello, Windy. And our tactics guy, Nathan A. Clark. Hello, Nathan. Hey. We're going to get straight into it, because there's lots to talk about, uh, i.e. the first game of the season, which we won against Aston Villa. Uh, Bardi, you were there. Yes, I was, yeah. It was great to be back. How was the atmosphere? Um, it was really positive. Everybody was in a in a good mood. I mean, I I can't imagine what it would have been like had we signed uh, Dybala. It would have been insane. But <laughs> yeah, the atmosphere was really positive. Everybody was happy to be back. It was weird weather, but it was warm. It was our stadium. And um, yeah, it was great to be back at Tottenham. And was that maintained through the first half, which I think you could describe as frustrating? Uh, no, there was... Um, Obviously, when they scored, it really it was a bit of a gut punch because we'd looked pretty good. We came flying out the blocks. Um, Lucas looked really up for it. He had a uh, we won the ball high. He had a good opportunity. He missed another opportunity, but you could sense it was going to be a matter of time, and it felt like it would end up being something like a three nil or a three one. It was just different. We had to work harder for it. We did get there in the end, but there was a lot of work to get to that point. Nathan, what did you what did you make of the first half and and Actually, let's talk a bit about Villa's goal, which um, really could finish from begin, but a lot of things went wrong for Spurs in, in that play. Um, what did you, first of all, you get your feelings on the first half in general. What kind of went wrong for you, Nath? Uh, yeah, I wasn't too worried about the goal. I don't think that that's something that we're likely to suffer from a lot. Um, just in the atmosphere, I do think that it was really loud on TV. It seems like they mm. they finally mic'd up the the stand, um, which is overdue because when you're there in person, it's incredibly loud. And then on TV, it didn't stand out so much. Anyway, Villa's goal, yeah. So blame is being spread all around. Mm. Adverell, Davinson, Rose, uh, yeah. Maybe each of them could have been slightly better off, but um, it's a really good run. Um, we didn't quite get the pressure right on whoever it was who played the pass. Um, and, and yeah, slight slight positioning error, and that that's what it's like at the highest level of football. You make a slight mistake, uh, and you get punished for it. But those that's a goal that we concede so rarely, and it's such a uh, it, it's you know it should be the way to play against us. It should be something. If you look at our, our tactical approach from a simplistic angle, it should be the way to beat us. But it's so rarely done, and we're so good at preventing that chance, preventing that goal. Um, there's no reason I don't think to be worried about that particular goal. But the the first half as a whole was more frustrating for what was happening on the other end of the pitch. So yes, we were struggling to break down 
time a very stubborn villain defence, marshalled in particular by Tyrone Mings, who was outstanding and just always in the right place at the right time. Um, to be honest, I thought all of their defenders played well in that first half. Um, Bardi, I, I know you're going to be gagging to talk about Winks because we've already had a brief discussion about him today. Um, in fact, just go for it. What, what did you make of Harry Winks' performance? There was two sides of Winks' game on, on Saturday. He was very good in winning the ball back and doing good Winks things. Short, quick passing, spinning away from trouble. But then there was times where he was almost kind of a bit Musa Sissoko-like in possession, where we needed him to be a bit more positive, a bit better with his passing. And it, it wasn't there. When he was trying to switch the play, quite often it was maybe a little bit over hit or a little bit under hit, and it kind of took the momentum out of the game, especially when um, Carl Walker was getting a lot of... Uh, uh, Carl, bloody hell. Carl Walker-Peters. <laughs> Carl Walker-Peters was getting a lot of space down and a little bit of joy down that right hand side and the ball just needed to get to him quicker and better and I, I think there was there was a serious problem there in Winks and maybe it will come back with time because he has we forget that he was injured a lot last season and maybe he's not back up to speed yet but I, I think he needs to work on that passing because I that I think in that deeper role that pivot almost has got to be quicker and he was a bit too slow for me there. So I, I totally see your point and I agree that he um he did play quite a few passes behind his man or underweighted them so it kind of like you say lost momentum from the move. Um I think it's exacerbated though by the fact that he's the only midfielder in the team that was really spreading play, making quick passes generally. So I felt that in the first half Sissoko and, and Dombele were quite sluggish to move the ball on. Uh Sissoko's final ball was atrocious. And Ndombele didn't really get on the ball that much. Um, but going back to Winks briefly, we had a, a very interesting question raised by Sean, who is Sean with a W on Twitter. He says, what criteria do you use when rating players? For example, half my timeline thought Winks was excellent and the other half thought he was awful. If we're all watching the same game, what are people looking for? And Nathan, we've spoken before about ratings and, and you don't agree with this kind of 1 to 10 ratings generally. But what sort of things are you looking for in a Winks performance? Yeah, you can definitely run into problems with the with the numerical basis. I don't think that there's necessarily a problem there, but um, yeah, I mean, tailoring it to the role specifically is is sort of the most important thing. And and I think that there's a misunderstanding about what Winks is is meant to be doing when he's playing as the deepest player in that diamond. And I think he did it. You know, I can recall a pass that he sort of played behind Kyle Walker Peters, and and maybe he could have been. Ericsson perhaps showed him how to do his job even better, but I think that mm. Winks generally moved the ball sensibly, moved it fairly sharply. Um, you know, he he's one of the few players behind the ball most of the time. Uh, I, th- I think he kept himself open well a lot of the time, and he just mm. moved it sensibly. And I think that that's all really he, he occasionally you're going to get into a situation where you want him to to do something a bit more aggressive. But I think most of the time he he fulfilled his job very well. He's basically our Jorginho now, and sure. um, he had, I noticed, the highest pass completion of any player in the Premier League this weekend who made over 20 passes, which I think is encouraging. And of course, he also had that really exceptional tackle and then a bit of skill to get out of trouble straight mm. afterwards, which prevented a breakaway from a corner. However, I do think he hurt his ankle quite badly in that moment. He was limping for about 10 minutes afterwards. He did come out for the second half, but then he was the one to make way for Ericsson. And I wondered if perhaps that was because he was still feeling his ankle. And I I really hope it's not the case, but uh, we shall see. So moving on to the second half, we changed things. Uh, So we immediately changed shape. We also changed the tempo, which I think had a big impact. 
And then, latterly, Ericsson came on and totally transformed the game. And I think it's worth pointing out that Nathan's done some outstanding work on um, on Ericsson on, on the, off the back of this game. Um, in fact, Bardi, do you want to talk us through uh, what Nathan's done and, and why you enjoyed watching reading that thread? Well, it just kind of showed the, the, the stuff that when you, you take for granted when you look at Ericsson, the weighting of pass, his movement off the ball, the way he tracks and helps win the ball back in... Um, um, he, he helps us win the ball back quicker. He can see passes and all of a sudden there's a confidence in people to move off the ball. And as much as, as much as Winks was fine and his pass completion was good, the, the difference is when, when Ericsson has the ball, people immediately go looking for it. Whereas Winks, there doesn't, there, you're never going to see Winks do a reverse through ball or a little slide rule pass. You're not going to see that off Winks at the moment. But as soon as Ericsson gets it, everybody's alive and they're, they're looking for that to make that um, opening run. And um, yeah, I, there was one bit which made me laugh when Nathan just talks about Ericsson doing a two-yard pass and he spends maybe a good minute talking about a two-yard pass and it, it admits that probably he could do that pass as well. But it's just something that Ericsson does consistently and it's always there and the play, the play never stops because it's weighted perfectly. Yeah, it's a good video. Go and watch it. And it's um, so I watched it at work and it was a nice break from doing my day job. <laughs> uh, let's talk a little bit about the shape change because I think as much as Ericsson's introduction was vital, uh, the, the change of shape from a well, from my perspective, a diamond to a four-two-three-one uh, was just as vital. Nathan, is is that your perspective too? Would you say that we played a diamond in that first half and and moved quickly to a four-two-three-one in the second? Yeah, I mean, you could equally describe that diamond as a four-three-three. I don't. There's definitely not any sort of um rigidity between the the front three you know they they there is not like lamella is consistently deeper and they're not and lucas and kane one are consistent front two they they definitely moved about a lot so you could call it like a narrow four three 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 uh bloody hell that's too many (laughs) um but yeah you you know uh, the important bit and i think the the bit that mattered was was a narrow attack and a three-man midfield uh, and those were the things that Botch, you know, wanted to change at halftime. Mm. Yeah, I, w- I would like to say with the four-three-three, I, I just don't think Lamella works as one of the the three up front. Um, I don't think he he one he doesn't give us the speed and the penetration that Sun does. He he comes inside and. It, you know, some of his um, some of his tracking back and winning the ball back for Kane's second goal was was really important. But I just don't, I don't think he works out wide right anymore. I, I don't think he's got I don't think he's got the legs in him anymore to play wide there. So so I thought the opposite actually. I thought Lamella had a really good game. I thought he was pretty sharp in possession. Yeah yeah. Of course he's definitely not going to run in behind like Son. Like that's a given. And I suppose the comparison would be actually between Son and Lucas, because Lucas is the one that should have been making those movements and probably didn't do enough of that in the second half. Although when a team's defending that deep, it's very hard to find pockets to run into. But I kind of like Lamella's performance. What did you think of him, Nathan? <laughs> Fairly neutral. Um, yeah, I mean, he he, often, he he shifted to a wide left row at halftime um, and, and, you know, showed that kind of adaptability and, and variance in this game, which is, which is nice to see. Uh, he probably could have offered for the ball more in the first half mm. um, and, and and acted more as, as a sort of a link rather than again because we're talking about this sort of well it's a diamond on paper but actually Lamella spending most of the time off the shoulder of a defender and maybe what he needed to do was come come deep a bit more and act more as a midfielder um but yeah generally uh, it was a middle of the road performance from Lamella which uh, <laughs> we talked before about how 
much he shows up in preseason and how much that disappears when the season starts or he gets injured. Um, the fact that it wasn't a bad performance is a positive for me. The fact that he can he's sort of bringing it in to, into competitive games. Yeah, fair enough. And then Ericsson comes on, changes really the tempo of, of the play in terms of the speed of the pass almost immediately. He's passing the ball quickly, crisply. His introduction allows a double A to play in a pivot. And he seemed to thrive once he had a bit of extra space and responsibility there. Um, Mark Lynch on Twitter says, Just how important is Ericsson? I keep hearing negatives from people regarding, regarding bottling challenges, not beating the first man at corners, and of course people wanting him to go because he partly hinted at an exit. But he's easily in our all-time Premier League team. Is that something you'd agree with, Bardi? Would you have Ericsson up there as an all-time Premier League player for Spurs? Yeah, yeah, I think so. The, yeah, without doubt. I, I wrote a blog during the summer that I think... We've had Ericsson so long now that we've we've almost stood too close to the painting. We can't see how good he is anymore. And I put myself in there as well, where we've just become so used to how he passes and how he moves the ball that we don't see it. And he'll be one of those players that when he leaves, we'll we'll notice notice it immediately. Um, hopefully, Lo Celso will come in and change that, and we won't miss it as much. But uh, yeah, and his introduction pushing Endombele. Into that, into that two was something else. He was, he was magnificent in that second half. He was quick. He was sharp. He was skillful. He was doing lovely back heels. I mean, his stepovers are wild. They're, it's all legs. It's like I don't know. I don't know whether it's the most uh, beautiful stepover ever, ever I've ever seen. It's a bit like the can can, but it was, um, it was effective, and he, he was fantastic to watch. And I've already nailed my opinion to the post. I'm getting in there early. He's the best centre midfielder we've ever had. <laughs> <laughs> he certainly took his goal well. Uh, that was a really nice controlled finish. Um, not easy, but he made it look easy. And that is a sign of a good player often. If someone can make something like that look as easy as he made it look. Uh, yeah, worth very much enjoyed that. And then he was kind of pulling out all the flicks and tricks in the few minutes after that. It mm. clearly gave him a little confidence boost, um, which was lovely to see. And there's a video going around of his touches from the game. Um, and, you know, second half, he looked he looked really good. So that's incredibly encouraging. Um, I'm, I'm a little... Sorry, Dave, go on. Uh, I, I'm I'm really glad that sort of the move into the deeper role um, helped him step up because so my excitement for him was was in the idea of him replacing Musa Dembele as our sort of controlling yeah. uh, defensive number eight and then all three preseason he's played sort of a more attacking role and been ahead of the ball and been a little quieter and not been sort of a dominant force and, and he's still offered plenty now you've seen his through balls you've seen his his dribbles and his driving runs and all of that and that's great and that that's obviously got a great value but but what I really wanted to see from him is, is what we saw from him in the second half where he's getting more time in the ball receiving the ball deeper progressing the ball controlling the game showing off his defensive game so yeah that's that's such a huge huge positive to me to see him in that role yeah I, I think moving into that formation I, I think that I think that might be where we go from now on to 4-2-3-1 it just seems to make sense and if Ericsson goes Lo Celso goes in into that middle role if um, Lo Celso has been arrested then you can put um, you put Lamella into there so yeah, I think I think four two three one is is probably how we'll line up for a while now. It just it just seemed to click. I hope so. I I I really feel like that's our strongest formation. The players know it well. It means we can get pretty much our best players on the pitch at the same. time.
same time. Um, and it just kind of gives us a nice balance. Um, I think a lot will depend on whether Ericsson stays or not, though. Um, and I must admit, I'm concerned by the fact that he started on the bench because I, I didn't think he would. Um, and Roger, that who is Spurs fandom on Twitter, he says, on a scale of 0 to 10, with 0 being quite fucked and 10 being completely fucked, how fucked are we going to be when Ericsson leaves? <laughs> Nathan, can we rely on Lacelso to cover some Ericsson duties or are we, as Roger says, are we fucked if Ericsson goes? I mean, that is the question, and it's hard to say. Celso is definitely a very good player, uh, and I'm excited for him and everything, um, but he has enormous boots to fill, and that's no fault of his own. Um, I think that if we'd have failed to get uh, Lacelso over this summer, then the answer to the question would be 10 completely fucked. Mm. Um, so, yeah, there's a big, big weight on his shoulders, and, and I hopefully Ndombele will help, help him um, bear some of that weight as well. Um, but it's a big ask. Uh, I'm I'm definitely nervous about it. Yeah, I would love to see Ericsson stay. I really would. Um, and let's hope let's hope something can be worked out with the club, even if it's just for the for the year, um, because he's so important to the way we play. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at fifty to eighty percent less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to Quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. We ought to talk about Harry Kane because his finishes were magnificent and I spoke about Ndombele making his Charles look easy but Kane was very much the same. His his first touch for both, just immaculate, gave him exactly the right amount of space to get the shot away in, in both case uh, and it was just a, a finishing masterclass from Kane. What was it like seeing those finishes in the flesh, Bardi? Yeah, Kane was getting a little bit of stick during the first half and at points during the second because... Why is that? Because he was coming too deep. So every, where I was especially, they were, they were complaining that Lucas was too far forward and Kane was trying to do everything again. That was the, the general kind of vibe of where I was. And I could see the point because Kane does like to come deep and get involved. And I kind of prefer that rather than him kind of putting his back into centre-backs. I, yeah, like I like him to be facing the goal because that's when he's, he's most dangerous. Um, his goals were taken beautifully. The, the second one, it was just, you know, ridiculous. He made a difficult finish look simple. And that's the, that's how you know someone's a master of what they do. He makes difficult things look like he's down the park. So there's one other uh, selection issue that we haven't even mentioned yet, but we probably should. And that was Jan Vertonghen being left out of the squad entirely. Um, and Alistair Gold written a piece uh, on Monday and kind of explains why, what happened and why. And it feels, um, it feels odd. So basically what, what it sounds like what happened was Pochettino preferred to go with Sanchez because he was the readier of the two fitness wise. And when he gave Vertonghen that news, he didn't take it very well. And therefore he was left off the bench, uh, as a result of his reaction to the decision. Alistair goes on to talk about how Pochettino and Vertonghen often have kind of frank discussions on the training grounds and that Pochettino likes those and admires the fact that Vertonghen's got a strong opinion on, on various things. So hopefully this can just be resolved and we move on. Uh, Nathan, how worried are you about the Vertonghen situation? 
less worried having read that piece. I was definitely uh, pretty nervous about it because like we've, we've gone through this period of time at the club and, and maybe it's softened up now. We went through this period of time where once you get on, on Pochettino's bad side, you're completely silent. No matter how good you are, you're, you're in the doghouse and you're not seeing any game time. And that's kind of terrifying when that happens to such a good player as Vertonghen. Um, but yeah, I mean, he's definitely like a moody guy, isn't he? He definitely mm. like remember under Sherwood, his you know crossing his arms and all of that kind of stuff. He's I think he's a bit grumpy. Um, but it <laughs> seems like that Pochettino and Vertonghen have have enough of a relationship where they can have sort of a you know a, a small falling out without it being the end of the world. I feel like Jan would be really bad in the mornings, just not a morning <laughs> guy at all. And that's why he, that's why he's he's a troublemaker on the on the training pitch because he's just. He's got out of bed the wrong side. He's he's grumpy. He's not had his cornflakes. Uh, and and maybe the team news was given out in the morning on Saturday, and so he he was in a bad mood anyway, and he reacted badly to it. <laughs> Who knows? Let's just hope it it's smoothed over because he's a very important player still. Even with Sanchez and Foyth pushing pushing for the first team spots, Vertonghen and Alderweireld are clearly our best two still. Um, we need to talk a bit about Pochettino and how he spoke post game about his decision as he as he described it. So he said. Uh, we prepare and it's always the fault of the manager. My plan didn't work and we were, ta- we were taking rash decisions and we were never comfortable on the pitch. The first 45 minutes wasn't the best and in the second half when we found the best positions to play and moved the ball, we started to create the chances. And it's been kind of uh, assumed there that he's talking about the 4-3-3 of a diamond. Um, and we know that lots of Spurs fans are completely against the diamond at this point. Certainly my friends uh, completely hate us playing the diamond and when it's when the team comes out and it's, it seems to be in that formation, their hearts sink. Um, Bardi, were you getting lots of moans and groans around you in the first half with that formation? No, not really. It was no, it just it was just moans and groans about us, about a lack of movement, a lack of penetration, and stuff like that. I don't, I, I don't think it was anything to do with. Well, it was all to do with the diamond and the formation we set up. But it was just weird. It was it was like we'd had a plan all pre-season and then we kind of lost it. And I, the, the positioning of Sissoko and Endombele was all wrong. And we rectified it. And I don't think we'll make that mistake again. A question from Sam Abrahams. He said, uh, what's the deal with the diamond? Why have we played it so much? What are its issues? And Javid Mopahedi, who's longtime supporter of the podcast, says, we look far too narrow with the diamond and with the players we have at our disposal. It isn't the best formation. Please discuss. Uh, so Nathan, you've spoken about the diamond before, but can you just sum up what the issues are and why you think we've used it? Yeah, I mean, so the reason that I think we moved to the diamond over the last year is because of the issues that we've had previously in central midfield. Um, issues that may well be resolved, especially if you look at that second half. Um, so definitely a two-man midfield is an option again. Uh, whenever I whenever I talk about the diamond, whenever I tweet about the diamond, people get like angry at me for mentioning yeah. it. But it's like it's not me who's playing it. Like Pochettino clearly has sees value in it, and I think yeah, it yeah. is for those reasons. Um, for our issues in central midfield, yeah, people get really worked up. I think people associate the diamonds with our league performances over the last season which aren't necessarily bad because of that shape, but because of other issues, perhaps the diamond helps to solve somewhat. Um, I, I I do think that the diamond uh, balances midfield roles quite well. Um, I do think that it has helped Kane when he's been off the pace. Mm. Um, but I, I dislike the way it occupies space. And yeah, essentially narrowness is, is, the, is the big issue. Um, I think if we have two absolutely lightning on fire wing backs that that can help but that's not really the situation we're quite in at the moment um so yeah we end up being a little flat so 
I, I think concerns about the diamonds are absolutely valid. I don't think that from Pochino's comments that means that it's absolutely gone away forever. Um, but hopefully we are now in a in a situation where we have the option to to move to a two man midfield at least at times. I agree. I think now we've got the personnel, we'll go back to our favoured original formation of four two three one. And I also think the pressing will return. I mean, there are signs of it against Villa. Um, it didn't always happen, but it definitely happened in part. Um, and actually, their their goal came from a failed counter press from Spurs. So uh, yeah, some, some some more to work on in terms of the pressing. Um, we've got loads of questions. Uh, when I put the shout out on Twitter, we were just completely inundated today. I think it's because football's back and people are happy about that and excited. So that's great. Um, but it's, it, this will help us. <laughs> what, you, just, what? You, you just got all a little bit sky there for a second. Football's <laughs> back, baby. It, it is like this weekend has felt such a happy, happy time for me. I genuinely, I've, I've missed watching Spurs in the Premier League so much. And it's live. It's live. Uh, These questions help us round up the rest of the game quite nicely. Uh, So the first couple are about Walker-Peters. Nick90 underscore THFC says, how good was KWP? And Jamie Goodson says, do you think that the right-back slot is now KWP's to lose? So Bardi, you were there. What did you make of his performance in the flesh? Uh, I thought he was good. I mean, nothing amazing. I thought he was good. Got forward. No dramas, which is, for me, that's the most important thing, that he got through without doing anything which cost us. Uh, and he, he was smart on the ball, got forward well. He's, he's not as quick as I thought he was, but he's he's nippy. He's not like Carl Walker speed, but uh, yeah, he was good. And definitely, he's our starting fullback now until um, until something bad happens, which I hope it doesn't. How about you, Nathan? What did you make of his performance? Yeah, I mean, the thing that I've repeatedly said about Kyle Walker-Peters' performances so far is that like, he, he has a really good game and then he makes a big defensive error and it sort of wasn't either of those. The, the, obviously, the biggest thing there is that there was no big defensive error. Excellent NASA celebration. He didn't sort of light things up either. I think there's also that sort of um, first half, second half dichotomy where like, he, so his job was to provide the width in the first half and perhaps he fell a little short there. And in the second half, he, he comes in narrow and, and deeper a little more because Sissoko and then Lucas are out wide. Uh, and I think he probably did a little better in that situation. But yeah, it, a good performance and and that's all we can really ask for at this stage. It's definitely his to lose. Nice, nice. And there was a very sweet comment uh, post-match from him where he, uh, it was along the lines mm. of he, he was nearly in tears when Kane scored. He was just so happy because uh, he's, he's, you know, he's a Spurs fan. He's been there for a while. So that was that was very endearing as well. Uh, Charlie B, who is Chaz Bob on Twitter, says Sanchez seems to be a Marmite player. I rate him, but his weaknesses are also clear, currently clear to see. What do the stats say and what do you guys think of him? Let's start with you, Barney, because you're a big Sanchez fan and always have been. Um, wh- where do you stand with him at the moment? Um, I think I think he's a great player. He's younger than we all think. He had a great copper. Um, the goal, as you said, the goal is a bit of responsibility for everyone. I think Spurs got caught out by the long punt. Uh, Wesley got up in his face but I just think the, mid, the the positioning of that back four was all over the place they were way too far over and yeah I don't, it's his fault but it's the rest of their fault as well I still think he's a good footballer um, I don't know what, what more people want from him he's um, he's one of our best centre-backs I don't think there's um, another Premier League team that has three centre-backs of the quality we have and if you include Foyf in that mm. I don't think there's a Premier League team with four centre-backs like what we've got so I don't know why people get upset with him I think so for me I I really like Sanchez I think there's bags of potential there I I I feel like he doesn't quite know how to use his body properly yet and I hope that will come in time he, he doesn't shift his body weight particularly well so he will find that he gets out muscled quite a lot so we we had the incident where he nearly gave away a penalty 
And I think the decision was correct. I didn't think it was a penalty, but it was it was pretty borderline. Like he took a big gamble by leaning into McGinn, and yeah, he like, was totally he was totally put out of position because they stole the ball really high, and he mm. was running back onto the. It wasn't that he was right next to him; he was trying to come back on him. So he his body was already out of position because we lost the ball on the edge of the area. But that wasn't that's not an isolated incident for Sanchez. There's been lots of similar things where he's kind of he's had to do something last ditch or he's lost a 50-50 in terms of a shoulder barge and that is a slight concern for me. But he's really young, you know? He's going to make a few mistakes and we just have to accept them and and hope that he becomes an immaculate player in the future. I I think the signs are good for a player of his age. Um, I mean, I, cent- I'm not concerned. Centre backs, if um, if you Alderweireld and Vertonghen were still playing at fullback at the at the same age uh, Sanchez was, so it, it, Alderweireld didn't come one of, become one of the best defenders in the world until four or five years ago, till he was mid to late twenties. So there's plenty of time on Sanchez's uh, on in Sanchez's hands. He's only just 23. It's, 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 it, you know, he's in a very good position for his age. He's, mm-hmm. he's doing very well, I think. Uh, next question is from Ahmad Abdullahine, who says, why the emphasis on replacing Ericsson with another advanced playmaker? Why can't we, when playing 4-2-3-1, have a more traditional front four of Kane on top, Lucas and Son on the wings, and Delhi behind Kane? Playmaking can come from midfield. Nathan, where do you stand on that one? Um, I think generally you want that creativity from frontline players, even if it's more shared. Uh, and uh, sort of relating back to what we are saying before, uh, maybe you can achieve that with a three-man midfield where both Ndombele and Lo Celso are, are sharing creative juices there. Um, but we may well see a 4-2-3-1. We may well see those two midfielders playing in a two um, with the head of them. And yeah, we'll see. I, I'm, I'm a little... I'd be a little concerned with that formation, with that particular lineup. Um, but hey, you know, we'll see how it looks. And we had another question from uh, Ray, who is I am Ray123, uh, who said, Nathan, I love you, you're the best, you write amazing articles, yada, yada, yada. Uh, I can't seem to put my finger on why Harry Winks is such a divisive footballer amongst our fan base. I've no idea where the, pa- where the battle lines are drawn up, as I've seen proper football men venerate him and some people who watch the game will analytically be dismayed by him. Why do you think this is? Thanks. Go on, Nathan, you, you put that in there for a reason. You, you've got something to say here, I think. Uh, so the answer that I gave Ray at the time was that I think that there are complex reasons to like him and complex reasons to dislike him and simple reasons to like him, single reasons to dislike him. That's why there's sort of, there's no clear battle lines. It's not the nerds versus the the proper football men. I think that, um... I think that there are legitimate concerns about his defensive game, although his performance at the weekend definitely was impressive on that front. Um... Whereas I think his passing game is over critiqued and, and that should be celebrated. Um I I think uh, <laughs> I'm not sure how to word it. I, I yeah, I mean it's it's more of that. It's it's it, it's a complex game that he's playing and, and he's he's playing I guess quite a, a foreign role as sort of the creative number six, which is something that I think a lot of English fans aren't used to seeing uh, and sort of grappling with. I I really like Harry Winks. I, I'm very much on that side of the debate. I I, ca- I cannot for a second understand what's the dislike about him. Um, he's a, he's an academy product who supports Spurs. He's been at Spurs since he was a kid. He's a really really nice bloke. Um, actually, the, it's probably a good time to say that there's a there's a great little podcast. Um, I think it's the Five Live Football Daily thing. So Ben Haynes, who is a very good Twitter follow, it's uh, Ben Haynes with two S's at the end. 
on his at. Uh, he interviewed Winks and Hyungmin Son, and they both were great value in their interviews. Really honest. Uh, Winks spoke about going off for pre-season and kind of how he looked after himself over the summer. He comes across so well. He's such a down-to-earth, likable guy. Uh, he's a very talented footballer. He's kind of got all the all the technical skills you'd want in a deep-lying playmaker. Not only that, he's got a bit of he's got a bit of like proper football man fight to him, a bit and a bit of kind of get up and go. And he'll make those sliding tackles like he did on on Saturday, that last ditch sliding tackle to stop a counter. What's not to like about Harry Winks? He's, he's I, a lovely footballer. Yeah, you're very right. You're completely right. But you're you're take you put that Alex from Bristol glasses on here, and you're you. Harry Winks is a fantastic human being. He's great. He's Tottenham. He's everything else. And in the same kind of way that I look at Danny Rose and I can't get that picture out of my head and I use that to judge him as well. Where Winks falls down is in this central role. I don't think his passing doesn't stand. His passing is dribbling and his tenacity doesn't stand up to someone like a Verratti, for example, who is his passing. That's what people are looking now for Winks, for him to step up to that next level. If he wants to be a regular starter at Tottenham, he's going to have to improve and he has to get better, otherwise he's just going to get replaced. I think that's where we are. It was kind of where I was with Mason as well. I really like Mason as the human being, and then I thought he was a good footballer, but then I thought he kind of hit his ceiling. He had nowhere else to go. I think Winks, Winks has to improve his short, his mid to long range passing if he wants to become a regular fixture for Tottenham and for England. Ah. He, has to, he has to become like a bit of a, it's, I hate I'm gonna, I hate myself for saying this, <laughs> but he has to be a bit more Henderson. Where Henderson, <laughs> I know it's, it's really bad and I apologise for this, but Henderson is what Wink should try to be a bit more like that. Not have the same kind of face and sourpuss, but that kind of footballer. Buddy, I, I, I disagree with literally everything you just said. So. <laughs> I know, I'm sure you so, do. So, so to compare, like I've just said that Winks has been at Spurs for years, he's Spurs through and through, and then you say, like you compare him to Danny Rose in that respect, who isn't a Spurs fan, asked to leave Spurs, gave an interview well. to the Sun about trying to leave Spurs. I'm like, Winks right. is like a company man. He's 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 the he's the kind of he's Pochettino's guy. He won't say a bad word against against the club. He's like the anti Danny Rose in my eyes. Okay, um, so once again, you're judging Harry Winks on his personality, not on his football. That's the problem here. But, that's what but, I tried so, to say. So, yeah, that's, and that's a fair point. But you then compare him to Mason, and I've, I was a big Ryan Mason fan, but for me, Winks is a, like a much more elite, rounded player. And mm. I, I just feel, I don't know, maybe I'm overly optimistic. I feel like Winks is going to really kick on this year, and I think we're seeing signs of it already. I, perhaps I am being overly hope, hopeful, and perhaps it is because he has come through the academy and, and kind of why Spurs tint his glasses are on. Um, I, I hope think so he's great. Well. I think he's I great. Like him. Yeah, I thought he was good last. I thought he was good last season. But I think th- he needs to avoid injury, and he needs to step up. Uh, he needs to step up to the next level now. Nathan, give us some balance because Bardi and I are kind of we're probably taking extreme extreme standpoints here. So so find find a middle ground for us. I don't know. I I do think that that sort of showcases why that there are no clear battle lines because his, his whole situation is quite uh, complex and confusing. I. I, I yeah I there's a possibility for him to drop out of the first eleven this season I think with Lacelso coming in um, and a move to a two man midfield um, but I also think there's very much a possibility of it being a strong year for him I think that I, d- I don't want to say that it's it's a decisive season in that regard because I think that's that's harsh and necessarily he's still fairly young um, I, I I guess that there's still a lot of unknowns surrounding Winks even at this stage. 
Yeah. Do you know what? It's quite nice to disagree once in a while because we, we, we do mm. spend a lot of time agreeing with another on this podcast. So it's quite refreshing. <laughs> yeah. But when, when we, when we turn off, I, I get my little windy doll and I start punching it. It's <laughs> <laughs> making me toe the party line. <laughs> Uh, to finish, uh, we, we've got some further reading. So uh, this week, I, I'd like to mention the Alistair Gold article that I mentioned earlier on Vertonghen. It's well worth a read. It's fascinating. But Nathan, you've got something that you, you flagged up as well. Uh, yes. Yeah, so similar to uh, some of the things I was saying about Villa, uh, Luke Balls Burgess has done a, an analysis piece, a written piece on the tactical changes in the Villa game. Um, yeah, Luke, uh, he's involved in coaching now. He used to do more Spurs-related content. I'm hoping that he will put more of this sort of stuff out again this season because it's it's yeah, it's it's straight to the point. Um, it's easy to read uh, and it, it explains what happened in that game, basically. Sure. Uh, so that's twittercom slash Burgess and just look down down his timeline and find the article that he did on Villa. Uh, Luke is an incredibly uh, knowledgeable uh, writer. He's very. He goes into insane detail it's it's very impressive the amount of time he puts into his his written pieces so yeah highly recommend that um guys it's been a pleasure been good to talk to you about an actual spurs game that means something uh and we'll be back to do the same about the city game we might even have a preview for you before the city game uh so look forward to that you've been listening to the extra inch thanks to nathan a clark production thanks to barney for being italian thanks to adam gardner for the artwork Thanks to David Lindner for our intro music. You can find him on Twitter at Davy Shambles and his SoundCloud D Lindner. Do check him out, he's great. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook at The Extra Inch. Email us via podcast at theextrainch.co.uk and subscribe via your usual podcast platforms. And if you do enjoy the podcast, consider leaving us a rating and review. That would really help.